This is the Spin Lob coming from Cincinnati. And welcome to the Spin Lob coming from Cincinnati. I'm your host, Nick Helwig. Uh, Mike Jones is on vacation this week, so it'll just be me uh, talking with our guests uh, from Napoleon and from Texas. Uh, this is episode 12 of the Spin Lob. It begins here as we talk to uh, those people who begin, bring us the beginning of the water polo season. Um, and then we'll talk with uh, Joe Linehan from Grill Water Polo in Texas. The Spin Lab is produced and recorded by Mike Jones and Nick Helwig. It's supported by the Ohio Squirrels. You're never too old to get into the game. Go nuts. And also by the Marlins Water Polo. For the love of the game, there's Marlins Water Polo. This podcast is all about Ohio Water Polo and how we fit into the national scene. It's a combination of what is going on in Ohio, the Midwest, and at the national level. Uh, last week, we uh, had a buy one, get one free special as our spotlight uh, for the season, talked with head coach of both Thomas Worthington and Worthington Kilborn. Uh, and we also got to hear from um, a Division One level team with Brown University's coach Felix Macardo. Um, so we are going to get into this week's episode, uh, but we wanted to make sure that everybody is remembering to wear masks. We do want to have that fall season. Uh, so our first thing, we're going to talk about a little update on Ohio uh, we are only two weeks away from the start date of many of the programs on August 3rd, uh, with our first tournament coming up in Napoleon in just a couple weeks. Uh, the other good news for Ohio water polo is that both Pennsylvania and Michigan sports have announced that their fall season will begin playing uh, and that they're going to they're planning on having that fall sports. Uh, beyond that, how it's played, fans and such like that has not exactly been drawn out completely. Uh, the big question, I guess, really is still – uh, how those schools are going to open or if they're going to open um, and what that's going to mean for sports. So like I said, please wear a mask because we want that fall season. Uh, with that, we're going to get into our first guest. It's a father and daughter out of Napoleon, Mike Nye and his daughter, Maddie. Mike is the head coach of the Napoleon Boys and Girls Program. He also ran Black Swamp Water Polo from uh, out of the Napoleon region. Uh, his school hosts one of the first Ohio tournaments of the fall season, the Corny Fisher Sprint Off in honor a former uh, Worthington Kilborn player who died in a tragic accident uh, a few years ago uh, on the way to that tournament. Uh, if you didn't catch last week's episode, we were able to talk with Courtney's sister uh, about how they kind of dealt with that and what she's doing to keep uh, her, you know, her family alive and keeping involved in water polo. Uh, but now I want to welcome Mike and Maddie. Welcome to the, the program. Thanks for having us on there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Mike, we've known each other for a long time now through coaching at least, but I, I really don't know your water polo background and how you kind of became the coach of Napoleon. Uh, geez, I, I guess I just sort of, I don't say fell into it. I, I started, I played for Napoleon back in the day in the, in the eighties uh, or mid eighties uh, when I, I was on the football team, but I didn't really fit in there. And I had a lot of buddies that were swimmers and uh, Went to a couple summer things with them, and the, the coach really prodded me, even though he was a former football player, to say, hey, try out water polo. Uh, my uh, parents were big believers when it came to college that you needed to prove yourself, and so we had to raise our money for our freshman year, and if you succeeded that way, then they would help pay for the rest of it. So I had to have a summer job and two days cut into that. So, so I switched from football to water polo. 
going into my junior year. So that's how I got into water polo. So that's my background. So now you're talking, it's like now basketball has a three-point line and back then it didn't. Uh, water polo was dump the ball to the center, try to draw the third common foul to get that person excluded to try to draw that man up situation. So now move forward to the 2000s or whenever it switched to, I don't even think you had a five meter shot back then. I don't remember it. That was the, uh, it was a four. You, was you, had the, you had the seven meter line, the four meter line. Yeah. See, I, yeah, I don't recall that at all. So that, but I'm old. Uh, so anyways, move forward to, uh, you know, an appointment water pole kept going and going. And my brother-in-law has actually been running the program. And uh, I had switched jobs from Napoleon being their athletic trainer for a, a, a long time to teaching at a career tech school here uh, in the area. And my brother-in-law had to resign due to his other job commitments. And so the athletic director came to my door and said, hey, you know a little bit about water polo. You're the only one in the town that does besides your brother-in-law. What do you think now that you're not the athletic trainer and you got some, some time available? I said, wow. I said, you're asking somebody who's just watched, you know, that was my, I watched two years then because my son was playing. So saw him as his freshman and sophomore years. I said, yeah, I played it, but I don't know a lot about what's going on from the standpoint of how they do it now, so to speak. But anyways, that's how it came full circle back to me. Then I, I you know, we sat down at a dinner one night and I said, all right, here's, here's the deal. And Maddie had me as a coach before in youth sports and softball. Uh, and I coached uh, with our aquatic club to our swim programs and when the kids were younger as well. So they'd had me and I don't think my son was really excited about the idea of me coaching him, but it, I guess it is what it is. And it's all, it's all in the rear view mirror now. So that's, that's how it came about. So Maddie, how did you get involved in water polo? Was it your, your dad was coaching, so you were exposed to it a lot more or was it something that you picked up with friends? How, how did you get involved? Uh, my dad's side of the family always had a huge background in water sports. So I knew that my older cousins played it and then I watched my brother play. But before my brother played, I didn't really know a whole ton about water polo. Like I said, I knew my dad played and it was pretty good and my uncle and my aunt. But aside from swimming, I didn't really have a background in polo until my brother played. And then when my eighth grade year going into freshman year of high school, I had the decision to either play volleyball or water polo. And then that was also the summer that my dad was asked to coach. And I had already made my decision that I was gonna play polo. Great decision, by the way. Yeah, so I think so too. I'm not the best on uh, jumping and land sports, so definitely the right call. Um, so yeah, I guess that was pretty much how I got into it. I just knew that it was either volleyball or water polo. And I was like, all right, my brother plays. Now my dad's going to coach. I guess I'll give this thing a shot. So, uh, Mike, what was it like coaching your, uh, your, your kids? And, and what is it like now having Maddie play at the highest level? Uh, you know, coaching your, your kids is always a unique situation because uh, you, you, I, I told them, like, going right into it that you're, you're going to have to understand that I, you're going to be held to a different standard. I, I just can't – I think that's how it's got to be. And, you know, <clears throat> the first person I ever suspended from playing was my son, uh, and that was because he lost his game cap down at Milford uh, because he didn't follow the rules and put it back on the cap ring, so he didn't play the next half. 
uh, as an expensive and, and a trying th thing to do, but it, it had to happen. So you, you got to look at it that way of you have to make sure that you're showing the rest of the team, the rest of the players and the coaches and even the parents that, uh, you know, there's no special treatment for them. They're, they're not, they have to earn their way just like anything else. And to go to Maddie's point, you know, I was, when I took the job, I said, uh, I'm going to go junior, senior year with, with that per that team primarily being the case of Quinn. I wanted to see his junior and senior years. Then Maddie would have been a junior and senior. So that I watched the girls teams those year. And that's always the unique thing at coaching both, both genders. But, uh, uh, so I, I think you got to set that standard and you just got to know that, uh, how it is, is what it is. And, and, you know, it made for some good conversations at dinner at times. And then other times we just said, no, let, let it be. But, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate that I think I've learned more from them than they probably have for me when it comes to the whole coaching and, and player athlete, dad athlete type of thing, son, daughter situation. So that's right. I, I, it was rewarding because I got to see it all. And uh, yeah, it was a fun time. Maddie, had you always wanted to play at the division level or is that something that kind of came about later on? I knew I always wanted to play sports in college. Basketball was my first love and I've been playing that since I could walk pretty much. And then, so I played basketball and water polo in high school. I didn't swim and um I think it was my, either my sophomore or junior year when I started progressing more in polo and I stopped growing. So I was a five foot six inch center in a big division, uh, against big division one schools for- In our league. Yeah, yeah conference. for Ohio. So I was a very small center. And uh, so that I knew wasn't probably gonna work out the best in college for me. Cause I wasn't fast enough to be a guard and I had a decent like range shot, but I knew I probably had a better chance of having more success for polo. And then, so I kind of switched gears from being, okay, you have to spend all your free time, like putting in the work for basketball. And then that switched to a water polo. Like, okay, what can you do in the pool now to get better? And like in the weight room to get better for water polo. And then I joined Moose and played with them. So yeah, I always knew I wanted to play a sport in college, and it was pretty much basketball my whole life until probably my junior year of high school, and then I thought polo. And, and to tagging on to that, uh, her development, I think, uh, she mentioned Moose, you know, Coach Split, when he was uh, officiating there for a year or two, he came around to the teams at Ohio Cup and mentioned this. He, he goes, can I talk to some girls, you know, that look like they'd be good, good enough to play and try the ODP thing? I said, well, you're not going to single out a group of them. You're going to tell the, the whole team. He goes, oh, yeah, that's fine. And, uh, you know, that I think really, really piqued her interest and, and got her going when she got to uh, go to those ODP camps. And then she was selected for the, the team to go out and, and did that. And she really got to see what water polo was like outside of Ohio. And I think that really piqued her interest in that. And, you know, it, it got me outside of Ohio. And, and she's, like I said, she's given me more opportunities in water polo, uh, playing with, with Moose and then uh, doing the ODP thing and that. And then I, I guess I didn't answer one question about what's it like with her in college. You know, I, I haven't missed a game of hers yet. So it's been really cool that uh, she's a spring sport and I was able to get to all those contests and, and the way it's worked out. So it's fun to watch them. And, and I learn a lot from those games and, and hope to bring it back to our team to make us better. Yeah.
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think being able to get outside of our our region, our, our Ohio water polo, and kind of see the difference really kind of changes our perspectives as coaches and players. So, so Maddie, what really is the difference then between college and, and high school water polo? I think talking about Ohio water polo selectively and then going into college, the biggest surprise for me was how physical the game is. I think in Ohio, at least for me, I was always the one that was getting like three exclusions a game for being too aggressive. And then in college, it was like, you're never being aggressive enough. Like, okay, the first quarter test out the officials to see what you can get away with kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then like go from there. So I think that was a huge, a huge uh, adjustment for me, which I was fine with because I, I'm an aggressive player as it is. So that, that was in my favor. But I just remember coming back and playing in some of the alumni scrimmages. And I was like, wow, this is like such a different game. Like most of the pools we play in are six lane, shallow, deep. So that was a huge adjustment. I remember in college, our one of our only games that we played in a six lane, shallow, deep pool, our coach looked at me and was like, all right, like one person on the team that you're used to this. You played like a hundred <laughs> games in this type of pool. So you got to show us the way. So that was, <laughs> That was yeah, it, cool, but it's, it's funny. some of the some of the kids don't believe that there are division two and three schools that still do play in a shallow deep and and not everybody doesn't have the, the massive pools that you kind of see in, in some of the you know the videos yeah. and stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, and and to to tag on with that too, the difference for me watching the two is uh, the overall knowledge you can you know in here in high school. Uh, it takes them two years before, at least for us here, because we don't have a great youth program going just yet. Uh, it takes two years to get them up to speed to understand what's going on with the game and uh, to watch them all know and understand what they're trying to do. It, it, the flow of the game is so much better. Like tonight, you, you know, the Olympic channels covering that whole FINA thing from 2019 and we're watching that. And it's just amazing to watch them play uh, together and understand and, the, and then the skill development and stuff like that. So that's, that's the big thing that I see the difference. And I would have thought it was going to be speed, but you know what? The, the college game doesn't really press the pedal to the metal too hard at, at times. They'll take it when it's there, but they don't, that's not what they lean on all the time. Where I think some other teams, uh, that's what they want to do is counter, 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 and not worry mm -hmm. about, you know, trying to set up things. So I, that's a difference I've seen. It's definitely fun playing with girls who have a similar polo IQ as you. Mm -hmm. There was only like a handful of girls on our team that had ever played polo really outside Ohio and some Pennsylvania. So that was always, that's really fun in, in college. You have people coming from all over the world to play together. They come from different backgrounds and stuff, but share the same passion and the same goal. So that's exciting when everybody on your team has that same passion for the game. Absolutely. I, I think that's a huge key point right there that you just mentioned that you have people at that higher IQ level, so you can do more things that's more tactically developed than just, okay, let's, let's you know, run down the same situation. Mm -hmm. We can do different aspects of the game. Yeah, and that's, sure. like I was saying, with the development of the younger kids, there's some of them, they, all they've done is, is swim. Uh, so now you put a ball in there and you put an offense and a defense where, uh, you know, Maddie was fortunate she played some youth soccer and she played, obviously, her basketball background. She understands that. So those types of kids that you get in the pool, it, it, it's really easy for them to pick it up. And it's a swimmer who hasn't seen that side of athletics before, offense, defense. It, it takes some time for them to get used to it. And then 
you know, then you got to tread, you got to hold the ball and you got to pass the ball and you got to keep your head above water. And oh my God, don't drown me and all this other stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's fun times. Uh, Mike, we are just a couple weeks away from the beginning of the season. Can you give us a little rundown of the strengths of both your girls and guys teams? I know you've, you've had a really strong run lately with the, the girls program. So, you know, what do we have in store uh, from you guys? You know, who are your, do you have your captains yet or, or leaders? Any, any records being closed in on? Uh, you know, we, the captains, that's a, that's a team vote thing. And we usually don't do that until we're a good week, week and a half into practices. So, uh, that's an elected thing. You have to stand up in front of your peers and state why you believe it is. And then obviously they know who you are outside of the pool from your actions in school and, and socially and whatnot. And then the, the coaches see the ballots and we have some input on that as well. Uh, and I can always steer the direction I like to, but I don't dictate that, that whole situation. So that's really a, a team honored thing that we've done. And I, that goes back to coaches before me. I remember doing it that way and, or seeing it done that way. Uh, you know, my background as an athletic trainer, I've, I've stolen a lot of ideas from other sports, other teams, other coaches, what they did, because I'd seen it, uh, happening while they were doing, getting their teams, getting ready to go and whatnot. So, uh, that's how we do that with captains. Uh, our, uh, what do I see is our uh, happening this year for us? You know, we, we graduated uh, some pretty talented kids again. Uh, our girls are, are low on upper class seniors right now. There will only be two returning, but we have a nice group of juniors uh, that are, are getting better and better. So I think we should be, you know, pretty, pretty decent there. And uh, we'll, we'll be able to spread the ball around. I think we'll have some different offensive ideas from, from different kids there. Uh, the guys' side, I think uh, we, we lose quite a bit with some really good talent and some kids that are moving, uh, uh, graduating and moving on. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing because we lose a goalie that we've had for a long time, and, and the next goalie up is always the, the question mark, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you're stealing potentially somebody from the field that you'd love to have in the field, but you needed somebody in the goal. So, uh, you know, our, our boys, uh, you know, it was what four years ago we only had six players august one or something like that so we've dealt with some numbers things there and, and i think we're in a good situation now where we have some kids and and that's that's fun to see that so there's the strengths there i think are just going to be what, what we always try to hang our hat on is you know it, it doesn't take any skill or talent or anything to play good defense you just got to be tenacious and you know maddie mentioned the physicalness of the game and I, I say that all the time. Anybody can play defense because that's just all about heart and attitude. Uh, the offensive part of it, you got to have some God-given skills and gifts and uh, that ability to see things, you know, open up if you want to be a great assist person. And uh, to finish a play, you got to have the arsenal of, of shots and different ways to select and beat your defender and the goalie. So uh, we always try to emphasize play defense first and then let everything else sort of happen. And if you probably go back and look many of our game scores both on both sides of, of the genders there boys or girls we don't play too many games that are 17 to 16 or something like that it's usually like six to four or seven to five uh, unless we're on the on the bad end of some games where they get blown out if we have some stiffer competition but yeah that's sort of what i think we're going to see and uh, on the records end uh you know with the different coaches we've had over the years uh we really haven't seen I, I don't know what the records are uh, I've never gone back and I doubt that there's stats going all the way back to when I played and, and the teams before me to see and shoot it, it would be comparing an apple and an orange I think at this point too because uh, 
I think when we played my senior year, I think we were 11, one and one. Uh, so we only played 13 games and now we'll have 13 games in probably before the third weekend's over. Yeah. I, I found that same situation looking back at our stats before and, you know, these we kept in our pool pump room. And so one time I went to go pick out a whole stack of them and they literally disintegrated into my Yeah. yeah. So I, I wouldn't know where to start and I don't even want to start doing it now. It's one of those things, I guess, is the, it's a team game. And I always look to that to, to what's your, your final record. And, you know, a lot of it too, isn't, it's just not about all the wins and losses all the time. Like the kids just have such a great time with the social aspect of it. And people think we're, we're strange driving three hours each weekend to do something. But I think that's part of the part, probably one of the biggest things. If you polled kids that have left and graduated and moved on, that's probably some of the biggest memories are those, those drives to and from tournaments. So. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, Maddie, one last question for you. So with, with practices starting up soon, what is one of the most important drills that you think your dad needs to do with the team coming up, especially early in the season? Hmm. Honestly, I haven't seen – are you talking about drills that I should advise my dad to do? It, it could be that as well. Okay. Uh, passing drills, I think I noticed that is a huge thing from college to high school or vice versa, that the passes in high school are not as good as college, and that comes with ha having a better skills and stuff. So I think that – that is something that you can never be too good at is passing. And also I think that my dad does a great job at kind of putting together a scouting report and watching film and stuff. Cause I think that for the successful teams I've been a part of, as far as any sport goes, that the classroom time in the out of the pool, out of the court, whatever it may be, the time that we spend in a classroom and like X's and O's and scouting other teams and watching our game footage and watching the Olympics or teams that are better than you compete. That's just as important, if not more important than the practice time that we actually put in together. Cause I think that's what separates the great teams from just the good teams. Absolutely. And, and Mike, any, any final pieces of coaching advice for your daughter or any other players listening at home? Well, I think she said it. And like I said, I've learned more from my athletes than I think they've learned from me. Uh, you know, you look at Michael Jordan or uh, Tiger Woods or any of the great athletes across time, uh, what do they do? They keep practicing those small things over and over and over and over again. As boring as it may seem, you have to be able to do that just out of pure muscle memory to make that thing happen. And, and, and passing is a great uh, point that Maddie brought up. It's, it's those things you have to do. That egg beater, I watched when uh, – Jesse Swarden is a, a graduate in a point, and then she played at Mercyhurst as a goalie, and she came back and volunteered and, uh, for us a couple years back. And, and I watched her in the wash. She goes, can I get in? I said, oh, absolutely. And she'd get in, and she was talking to the kids and moving around. Her hands were above water, and she's just gliding effortlessly through the water. And it's because she's been treading water for, you know, eight or ten straight years then through her high school and then her college time, and it just looked like nothing to her. And then you get kids uh, that are getting in the pool and they're like, oh my, I'm going to drown if I don't find a gutter soon. Yeah. So it's stuff like that that you have to really send home, beat that message home. Like you got to use your legs. You got to use your legs. You got to, you got to do this. You got to keep that all the time. You got to keep your wrist cocked back before you, you know, every, every pass, every shot, you got to snap that wrist through hard 
to finish that to finish that off. So you're never too you're never too good to do those small things to keep doing that. I mean, those guys in the NBA, LeBron James, he he still practices his free throws as as much as he does anything else. So uh, yeah, you got to have that happening all the time. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. Uh, I, I want to thank both of you guys for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure talking with you guys. Good luck in the spring. Uh, and Mike, I will see you in, in a couple weeks in some tournaments. Yes, I absolutely hope so. <laughs> I hope it all goes as planned. I, I agree. All right. Thank you, too. Yeah, all thanks right. for having us on. Thank you. Right. Have a great one. You, too. All right. Next, we turn our attention nationally to talk with Joe Lenahan with Grow Texas. Joe, welcome to the Spin Lob. Uh, thank you for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. Um, so I was doing just a little research on you to, uh, just when you said you were going to join us. And, and one thing I found out is that you were at the Merchant Marine Division level, correct? Actually, I, um, I was the head coach at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy in Long Island, New York, which was a small Division three school for five seasons back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, I, I one, I didn't even know that there was that, that academy, and, and two, <laughs> that they had a team. A lot of people I, don't. A lot of people don't know, so that's okay. <laughs> Well, and I feel bad because I teach military history as well. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was there. So um, how, how is that? Is that program? You could out there for a sec, Nick. Yeah, so Nick, um, you were asking about the Merchant Marine Academy. Um, so basically, um, that was a Division three school. They hired me on as a 23-year-old back whenever I was young and dumb. And uh, <clears throat> they simply, um, we, my first year, I, I started, I had one kid that played high school water polo on my team. But by the end, end of my fifth season, we were, we beat Bucknell, Brown, and the Air, and the Air Force Academy. So it was That's a very, it was a very successful kind of five years. Um, unfortunately, after I left that school, they had some issues and they decided to drop the water pole program. So, and that's, I mean, being the Merchant Marine, you figured you have a, a bunch of swimmers in there. Um, though I did invite the Marine, couple of Marine guys to come play like a adult water pole with us one time. And I thought they were going to drown. So <laughs> you can always assume that those guys are always good swimmers. So it was it was it was fun as a 23 year old. You had to be able to do a, a lot of different things and learn from a lot of coaches out there. Um, I also started doing youth water polo while I was up there. There was a uh, there was a gentleman that coached a high school team out on Long Island that asked me to do something for kind of with his high school swim team. And in the back of my head, I was like, No, I'm a college water polo coach. I'm not a youth coach. But then I started doing a club, and we had six kids the first practice, and we had 150 kids about a year and a half later. So that is impressive. And then at the same time, and yeah, and then at the same time, I started doing some um, uh, camps back in Texas, and they grew from from 50 the first year to 250 the third year. So I figured that there was a need to come back to Texas and do some youth water polo. So that's what brought I, me back to Texas. I was just about to ask about that. Uh, and you've caught a couple different programs in Texas, correct? Yeah, there's. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people involved. But uh, I I originally started back in Houston in, in 2003. We had 30 kids the first practice for the Houston Water Polo Club. 
about four years later, we had about 400 kids in the club. We broke that up into, the, into three separate clubs. And then I actually went up to Dallas and started uh, the Dallas or started, or started the Dallas Water Polo Club as far as the youth version of it. And um, again, you know, we started that in 2009. And now there's what's seven different clubs up in Dallas. There's probably about a, about six, seven hundred people playing uh, club water polo up in Dallas now. So that's fantastic. That's really awesome to see. Um, I, when I was digging a little bit into, uh, you know, the Texas water polo and, and saw that you're kind of part of Grow Texas, can you kind of explain what that is all about? Um, I'm not sure where you're getting the term Grow Texas from, but um, we're just part of just, you know, just kind of growing the sport here in Texas. So there's a lot of people that have been involved from Scott Slade to Chris Cullen to Mihaly Oprea. There's, it goes up and down the line. And there's people, and we just, I, I, I've worn a lot of different hats. I've been a referee. I've been a zone chair. I've been the club director. Um, I've helped out high school teams. I've been a high school coach. So we kind of see it as the opportunity to, to get to grow the sport is not just in club water polo, but it's also in the high school level. So we've really worked over the years to really work together to help like, like, like the high school helps the club and then the club helps the high school. And then we both grow together. So I think maybe I just came up with that name when I was thinking about having you on. It's actually a good name. So, so, so that's all good. <laughs> um, and, and so I was looking at a couple of different things and water polo in Ohio and Texas actually started at roughly the same time in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually more teams in Ohio than in Texas at the time. There was only 10 in Texas. And I believe we were up to 17, almost 20s. Um, but from then on, you guys saw about five to eight teams for every five years until 2005. And then, then a massive jump about 20 to 25 teams each year. Um, in Ohio, we've kind of seen the opposite happen. Uh, right now we have, uh, about 11 girls, high school teams and only about 10 competing at the varsity level. Um, on the boys side, we have 16 teams and only about 13 competing on the varsity level. Um, whereas those numbers were the 1980 numbers in Texas. Uh, really, what can you guys attribute to just the growth you guys have seen and the success in, in the growth down in Texas? So the biggest thing that we did was, again, we wanted to see a growth in the, in the, in the number of high school teams that were playing. And for the longest time, uh, like the high school water polo season was a fall season. And this is in, in Texas. It is currently still a club high school water polo season, although we will have a state sanctioned season beginning in fall of, of uh, 2021. Now, but for right now, it was, it is still a club high school water polo season. And for the longest time, it was a fall season. So back whenever I was swimming and playing water polo in Texas, nobody even swam or even had a swim meet before November 1st. Right. But over the years, and that was, that was the late eighties and the early nineties over the years, the high school season just got earlier and earlier and earlier. So there were teams that are actually having high school swim meets in the middle of September. So what that did was that was stopping teams from actually playing high school water polo in the fall. That was mm-hmm. stopping them from at it. And it was even, it, uh, it was even causing teams to drop the sport. So back in the mid two thousands, all the coaches kind of got together and they voted on and they decided to move the sport to the spring. The main reason to move the sport yet yeah, the spring was to have less conflict with high school swimming period and we were hoping that that was going to be able to grow the number of of 
the high school teams that, that were playing. And we saw significant jumps, yeah, beginning in, in the 2008 and 2009 school year. And it just rose every year since then. So back in back about 10 years ago, there were probably about 35 to 40 total teams um, like, like playing statewide. Now, this past spring, there were about 160 total teams playing statewide. Yeah, I, there's, there's a graph that I saw, and it just it's incredible to kind of watch. Now, people are going to say, well, Texas has more you know, people. We're about 40% of the population. Yeah, of course. But I mean, that, that should still mean we should have 66 teams in Ohio based on numbers. I mean, I mean, but, it's, I mean, but it's just, there's three main factors that allowed us because we wanted to really grow it in high schools. Now at the same time, we also grew the club aspect. So um, yes, we were for, you got to grow the sport at, at the high school level. We had, we had three things that we wanted to do. One was to make it as easy as possible to play water polo, period. Okay. And then two was to align with our state association, like, like their eligibility rules. Then, and, and then three align with a group that had some sort of contact with the kind of with the state uh, association. So as we grew the sport and made, and, uh, and made it as easy as possible for teams to play, we also were working on becoming a state sanctioned sport. So what do we mean by making it as easy as possible to play? The first thing we did was kind of move this, like, like the sport to the spring season. The second thing we did was we just went up to, to teams and said, all right, we just want you to play. And then, then you can play two weeks or two months. It's up to you. Just start. Mm -hmm. And we will help you out with whatever you need to start with. So that would be like the local water polo club or the other bigger high schools. They would give them their old balls or their old caps. Like the, like the teams kind of were using uh, tables on their sides. Whatever it took to play, we helped them and gave them every solution to their various issues. So um, that, and that worked out really well because, I mean, just my first year up here in North Texas, we had three high schools, yeah, that played, yeah, before 2009. Then we had 16 high schools that first spring. And that was only about a month or two of, of, of kind of recruiting schools yet to play. And we got from, and we actually went after the swim coaches. We had the swim coaches start a, like a, a high school water polo game or a high school water polo team. And the reason we did that was, hey, let's let's grow your yeah, let's grow your swim team. Like like with water polo, you're to bring a different type of athlete. Yeah, the pool. It's also just gonna and yeah, and then you can have them swim for your team the following year, and, and it's just gonna help your team come quicker because there are some backup tight ends and backup power forge kind of out there that would love to play a team sport and that would make great sprinters and a lot of and a, a lot of the high school swim coaches they were like yes i want my t i want to i want to build my team and build my numbers so so uh, you talked about uh, wanting to become state sanctioned why do you think that is so important um to help the, the sport to continue to grow it just it just in, it just increases like like the validity of the of the sport as far as it's not just a club sport or a club high school sport, it's gonna like kids would come to water polo and they and they want to play and then they want to play for their high school team. So if if we become a UIL, which is our state sanctioned uh, group there, if we become a state sanctioned sport, it's going to allow a lot more high schools the ability to play because as we were growing the sport on the high school level, we ran into a lot of school districts and a lot of schools that said, we'll play, but it has to be a state sanctioned sport. Mm. And so really it's just increases like you yeah, get the validity. It increases the opportunity for, um, for access. Yeah. Yeah. To various pools and be honest with you. I mean, 
the biggest thing is now ever because we actually became a state sanctioned sport in, in October of 2019. The first sport added in Texas since 1997. Wow. And congratulations uh, on that. And it opened the doors. Yeah, within a couple weeks. Other like school districts, yeah, were calling me. There was um like you know like you know cities were calling me. They wanted to know about water polo and what they can do to yeah to have it be part of their programming. So it really just it, not, it doesn't increase like like the validity of of the sport in the minds of the current players and parents. It's those people that are just looking at it from a distance, and they're the people that yeah, and those are the gatekeepers to us exploding as a sport out there. So. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and I think that's that's big to understand. I, I think one of the drawbacks here that people talk about is if that we go state sanctioned, we lose a couple of teams because they are primarily clubs, not associated with schools. Did you guys have that type of problem uh, when you were looking to? I mean, state sanctioned. So, so the second big thing about becoming a state sanctioned sport was we changed our eligibility and our rules for the high school water pole to align with the state association. And we did that early on. So what that means is if you wanted to play at the, at the regions and districts and state championships, you, everybody on your team had to be part of that specific high school. Um, and we um, also uh, like there, then there couldn't be co-ed teams. Boys can only play boys and girls could only play girls. And what that means is we aligned and we made it and we, lost some teams, but we also created yeah, yeah, some opportunities for consolidated championships. So if a team was playing with um, like, you know, like a school district kind of, kind of had one team playing with like three or four different kids from three or four different high schools, um, we had a championship locally kind of, kind of for each of them. They could, they could still play in all the various tournaments, but they couldn't play in like, like the district region state uh, level. Mm-hmm. So, and what that did was that, that allowed that was, that was two things. One, it allowed that school district that may not have a great aquatics kind of history or they don't have a whole lot of kids, they could play co-ed and they could play consolidated for a year or two until they got more people. So it made it, again, easier to play, easier entry to play. And then, oh, and then kind of once they got people, then they could go to district regions and state, right? But we still had a local championship as like, so everybody still had a championship kind of to play for. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then on the flip side, because, you know, we might have uh, one school district with three high schools that, yeah, that starts in, but then kind of two years later, that, yeah, that school district, yeah, now has three high schools and they both have boys, girls, and also JV going. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, again, we had, we have, we have so many stories of like the different teams and schools playing for two weeks. Yeah, the first year. And then they might play for two or three weeks, like the following year. But then all of a sudden they get into it. The parents kind of get into it. They do some fundraising. They get like, you know, real equipment, their own equipment. And then they get caps and suits and yeah, and t-shirts. Then all of a sudden they're playing for two and a half months, you know, and practicing kind of five days a week. And then they go from just having, you know, one kind of consolidated or co-ed team to then it's boys, girls, uh, and then varsity and JV at every, at every single high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, just, and then that just breeds a lot of kids that now can go join the local USA Water Polo Club. Yeah, and that and that's kind of what you know, a lot of coaches here are are kind of hoping for is that if we if we make can make that jump, we like you said we might lose a little bit at the beginning, but then you have other school districts now that can join in with that. And, and then, I mean, we we have a lot. I mean, 
even even as we were starting to like just grow, we just wanted like a team was like, well, you know, we don't really want to travel and we don't really want to uh, like, you know, compete for that much. And we don't want to play like the good teams. So we made sure those brand new teams that were starting, they played the other brand new teams. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they're not going to go play the perennial state champion or, or what have you. Cause then that, that's not a good experience for anybody. Right. And then, then we, I mean, we had so many, like, like we had so many school districts that started, they only started playing each other and that's it. And they did that for a couple of years and then they started joining everybody else, but they, it was nice and easy. They could grow at their own pace. We didn't rush them. And then all of a sudden, yeah. And then before you knew it, there was a, like, you know, kind of, kind of there's teams that are, uh, that are winning state championships. So. Yeah. You also talked about working with the swim coaches. Um, you know, the, the, the big kind of joke here is that, you know, swim coaches hate water polo and, and maybe it's not even a joke, but um, did you guys find any pushback with the swim coaches or were you able to kind of work together to kind of feed off of each other? Um, we work together. I mean, yes, there's going to be a, there's going to be a segment of the swim coaching population that, yeah, that doesn't like water polo. Okay. But I always joke around that they did. It's not that they don't like water polo. It's they don't like, you know, chess club. Uh, they don't like homework. They don't like, you know, like the boyfriend, girlfriend, they don't like anything that takes you away from swimming period. Okay. So, but, um, so, but the majority of them, they just want to, like the high school coaches, they just want to, uh, what's best for their kids. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and we offered them an opportunity yeah, yeah, to do something outside their season that kept their kids busy and kept their kids in the water. And, um, and it was fun. It was fun for the coach because we gave them like, yeah, like the education. Yeah. We didn't just throw them into the deep and, and make them have to kind of, kind of figure stuff out. Then the, that was just a little bit different kind of, kind of for the athletes. And that was the biggest thing is we just made the transition from not playing to playing to, to them being competitive as easy as possible. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the arguments that I've, that we can take from there. Do you have any, any other advice to, to kind of wrap up with about what Ohio can help do to, to continue to try to grow? I mean, it's just also just, yeah, just kind of, just kind of find out kind of what the steps are for your high school athletic association. Okay. This is the group. And this is, this is good. This is how often that they meet. How do we get in there? How do we actually get a sport added? That's, that's the biggest thing. And then put it out there and get everybody on the same page. Cause here things weren't always kind of rosy. Things have been bad at times. Coaches have not liked each other. I mean, it has been, I mean, we have, we had something that we kind of uh, jokingly called the civil war back in 2009, whenever we first moved together the spring that um, there was a group of people that did not want to go to the spring and they didn't, they stayed in the fall and they played for two years until they didn't have any teams kind of left to play. Then everybody eventually came to the spring But that two years. That was not fun. But, you know, you just have to get everybody on the same page and have a plan and understand that that five-year plan is going to, yeah, yeah, it, it might take 10 years. But the biggest thing is just make it as easy as possible for teams to play and align your eligibility as closely with the state kind of, kind of the high school association as possible. And then is there a group that y'all can work with that has an in with the state kind of, kind of high school association, like the swim coaches kind of association or the high school kind of referee association? These are these are the type of thing. These are the type of groups that can really work for you inside the whole kind of process. Absolutely, I I I don't think I could have put that into better words. And and I want to thank you so much for coming on 
uh, tonight to talk about how Texas grew and, and how I created a whole new program for you called Grow Texas. And, and, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and hopefully we can take that advice and, and, and get on the same, same track that you guys are on down in Texas to see us grow. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, have a, a good luck. You've got a little respite then until the spring season. Well, well, we also have the whole club stuff coming up too. So, uh, when's your club stuff in the fall then? So, I mean, th- like you know, I didn't mean to keep going off here, but like you know, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it yeah, it's we have a huge club season. It's twelve months a year. So, during the high school season, which is spring, which 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 has been spring, we have our we have our clubs. They focus on you know, the eighth grade and sixth grade and younger kids completely. And then the other nine months, there is, a, there is, there are either game days or tournaments going on every weekend that teams can go play, create a calendar and get as many opportunities to get to play as possible. I mean, I know about 10 years ago, there was one club down in Houston. It was called the Houston Water Polo Club. Now there's probably about 25 kind of different clubs like across Texas and there's tournaments every Every, every other weekend and then local game days every other weekend. Yeah, throughout the summer and fall. So and then, moral of the story is get out and play. I mean, but it's, I mean, that is club water polo. And that, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that can be like, you know, USA water polo or whatever. Just get the kids playing. Mm-hmm. And that's the main thing. And, um, and like we have kids here that they'll like, you know, they'll play the 30 or 35 games during the high school season but then they'll play about 150 games. Yeah. Before the next high school season. Wow. I mean, well, that's a-, a lot of it is just against other uh, local Texas teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there are, there are going to be teams that go out to JOs and yeah. And yeah. And such like that. But I mean, just 10 years ago, there was what um, one club that brought eight teams out to JOs this in, <laughs> yeah, this past summer, the summer of 2019, um, there was uh, 12 clubs that brought 45 teams out to JOs just from Texas. And that was all, and that was all levels. And there are a lot of clubs that don't even have the younger kids yet. And they're, and they're building towards it and just create events. I mean, I, I, I still remember back in 2009, you know, whenever I first moved up to North Texas, there was, there was very little youth water polo going on. Yeah. Just outside the high school season. And I said, okay, we're gonna have a high school season. Yeah. This spring. And then we're going to do an eighth grade and sixth grade in younger league. They said, what? I go, and then you're like, who's in the play? I go, I don't know, but we're to make it look nice. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna fake it. The, there's to be refs in whites, and then we're put clocks out, and it we made yeah, and then we made it through that yeah yeah that season. Now up up in North Texas, we have like six or seven different clubs. They play in like they get together and play some game days, but each of those clubs also now has their own league, just within their clubs. So they might have games. I mean, so it's just you know just create games, just create the opportunities to play because that's what's gonna that's going to be the biggest difference between us outside of California and the people in California. Yeah. Is, is the number I, I, of playing I cannot, opportunities. I cannot disagree or agree with you any more than that. I, I, I agree that getting the kids, especially the young kids in is, is vitally important, especially that, that sixth grade, that eighth, seventh grade, eighth grade level is really what we need. Well, and I do, I want to thank you for taking the time tonight to, to join us and, and hopefully we can follow in your guys' footsteps and we'll be, uh, competing against each other in, in the competition sometime soon. So yes, of course, we'll see you of course on the pool deck. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. All right. As we get closer to the fall season, we'll continue our profiles with the other high school and college coaches um, around the state uh, to talk about what's going to happen with our seasons. 
Uh, we'll, we'll get in teams from Columbus and in Toledo and Cincinnati and figure out where everybody's going coming up in the next couple of weeks. If you have topics or shout outs on where you are playing in college, let us know. Uh, you can contact us at cincywaterpolo at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at cincywaterpolo. The Spin Lab is produced and recorded live by Mike Jones and Nick Helwig. It's supported by the Ohio Squirrels. They're never too old to get in the game, go nuts, and also by Marlins Water Polo. For the love of the game, there's Marlins Water Polo. And our theme music is produced by Jason Shaw at Audio Nautics. See you next time on The Spin Lab. Yeah, Nick, thank you a lot.